Hey, Joe. Hey, Dave. Do you know what time it is? I don't. It's Green Lantern quiz time. What? This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 36 for the week of June 20th, 2011. Ho, 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 green giant David T. Cole, and I'm here with Soylent Green, Joe Reed. It's made of people. And Mr. Green, with the rope, in the conservatory, Tari Ariano. Garot! Joe, did you get a chance to see Green Lantern? Um, well... Be honest. You can answer, yes or no. No, the answer is no. That is correct, you did not see Green Lantern. (laughs) Joe Reed... Is Tim Robbins actually in Green Lantern? I don't think so. He is. Is Tim Roth in Green Lantern? No, he was in Hulk. Correct. Okay. Joe. Yes. Is the line, gravity is a bitch, featured in Green Lantern? (laughs) I can't imagine you would make that up, so I'm going to say yes. What's the physical Green Lantern object's natural habitat on the planet Oa? Or in the window of an Italian restaurant covered in candle wax? (laughs) Uh, the planet Oa. Correct. Does the big alien galoot Kilowog get kicked in the alien <laughs> nutsack? Um, no. Mm. Ah, correct, he does. I thought you were stealing that from Transformers. Does the scientist character Hector Hammond, played by Peter Sarsgaard, work <laughs> in science building? No, really? Oh, he does. Green Lantern. Does Hector Hammond have A, a forehead? B, a five head, C, a six head, or D, a nine head? E, all of the heads. Close. (laughs) First one, then all the others is the correct answer. Joe, is Blake Lively more believable as an ace test pilot or as an aeronautics mogul? (laughs) Neither. Correct. Yeah. Joe, does Green Lantern stop a helicopter crash by using ring power to A... Make a big green soft pillow for it to land on. Oh. B, pluck the passengers out with an arcade prize style <laughs> claw. Or C, turn a helicopter into a big green roaster from the 1920s <laughs> and have it race around a high society party on impromptu green Hot Wheel tracks. Is it the pillow? No. Oh. I'm sorry, Joe. It is C. Wow. The giant Hot Wheel tracks playset. Jeez. Joe was Parallax voiced by A. Ving Rames, B. Clancy Brown, or C. Rutger Hauer. I hope it was Clancy Brown. Correct. Was it really? (laughs) And finally, Joe. Yes. Would you be be confused about who was asking you these questions if we had tiny little masks on? Probably yes. (laughs) Well done, Joe. That's pretty good. That is some fucked up shit about Green Lantern, you guys. Yep. It is. So, Tara, I think we can describe this as possibly, I was there, I saw you while you were watching this. <laughs> Would you describe this as your blackest night? Yep. It was, it was seriously, it might have been the shortest credits to what the fuck am I watching <laughs> of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it jumped into, from what I understand, it jumped into just here is the history of yes, yes. green aliens. Yes. And then yeah. the aliens divided the universe into 16 quadrants, no. and then subquadrants were divided from them, and then <laughs> yes. they had the. Uh, it's like 3,600 quadrants. Yes. It's like an absurd number. Like it's Was so. It? It's five to seven minutes of straight up ridiculous, phony baloney like, comic book mythology, and it's so 
alienating. Was it more? No pun intended. Okay, was it more or less confusing than all the Star Wars prequel Trade Federation stuff? Uh, no more or less. I no know. more or less. <laughs> equally, yeah. equally terrible. Yeah. I, it, it struck me as the kind of, you know, when you were a kid in high school or rather grade school and you had that first moment where you were actually constructing a world. Yeah. You know, where you have those moments where there's like a whole bunch of robots and they have like, yes. you know, you're doing your sort of own I, I robot foundation rules sure. for the universe. It was sort of like that, except somehow a five-year-old managed to sell DC comics on yeah. the concept because it's so kind of goofy. Yeah. Now, was it like, because I remember at the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings movie, Cate Blanchett went on for like about six minutes where yeah. it was just like, and here's when the ring did this mm-hmm. and there was the war between men and orcs and blah, blah, blah. That I really liked, A, because it's nice to hear Cate Blanchett literary. tell you things. And it's literary and it's sort of like, it's true prologue. And it's also, there was a sing-songy yeah. quality to it that right. worked, she, right? Her, yeah, it was, it was sort, sort of, of like a musical and... less yes. bard's tale of sorts or yes. something, right? And this one is just sort of like, it's we gotta get through this, exposition. people. Uh-huh. Just buckle in, strap yourselves down, uh-huh. you know, uh, get some munchies, because we're just gonna explain all this weird shit to you. So oh dumb. my god. It's so dumb. It was, it was exhausting. <laughs> it felt so much longer than it was. I don't know who it's for. Like, I, I defy anyone out there. If, if Green Lantern is your favorite comic book character, then I apologize. But I'm going to go on uh, out on a limb and say, Green Lantern is no one's favorite comic book character. Green Lantern is a dumb thing to even be a superhero. It's a lantern that is green, literally. And on top of that, the powers that you have if you are a Green Lantern, one of the 3600, are dopey. And they're really despite the fact that you're conjuring things from thin air out of your imagination, yeah. it's surprisingly boring to watch. Yeah. Are they like big green glowy things that yes. he conjures? So yeah. he punches somebody with a big green fist. That's like his first, like, you know, sort of... Yeah. What, what just happened? Manifestation of the ring power. But also, um, he like grabs like a tanker truck full of gasoline and throws it in the air and then like creates like a, a battleship a sh- deck gun yeah. to shoot it with. Which... Was weird. There's weird moments where he creates things, and it's supposed to be all energy power, but then they actually shoot real world items. Like he yes. created a, a flamethrower with his ring, and then it shot real, real flames. flames. It's okay. very the logic of the ring right. broke down. Yeah, there is and no many internal... times during this oh, program. I mean, should we bother to recap the no. plot, or does anyone care? I mean, I my problem with the cares. with the with the big villain, this Parallax, who's this is who he's fighting against. So Parallax is, Parallax is like, like the nothing from the Never Ending Story. Yes. Yeah. He's like a big, everything I've read about that makes it sound like that. He's like a big cloud creature, yeah. And yet we're supposed to think he's go, you're going to in, who's created out of fear, right? But yet everything that Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, tries to do to defeat him is like assault him with physical means, right? Which seems like it makes no sense at all to me. Like if the if the whole thing is like it's energy made of fear, shouldn't there be some kind of will slash the force thing going yeah. on? Well, as Beth Grant taught us in Donnie Darko, the yes. opposite emotion of fear is love. So right. really, it should have been conquered by love. Well, in the context of the of the movie, yeah, or the Green Lantern story, the two opposing forces are fear and will. Yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's all very dubious, stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Man, see, you see, Joe, many eons ago, the guardians <laughs> of the universe sure. realized that will was the most potent potent force in the universe. Where do and the... that's what uh, drives the green ring power? And then on the opposite is the yellow color of fear. 
I see. Can yeah. I ask a question? You can. Yeah. Where do the owls of Gahul fit into all of this? <laughs> I'm sure the owls of Gahul are, are among the Green Lanterns okay. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they sit in a, in, a, in a ring on impossibly high pedestals, and they're immortal, <laughs> and they have extra nostrils for no reason. Yeah, they sure. look like poorly rendered Yodas who are blue. Yeah. Right. And then one of them fucked up and was like, I'm going to harness fear power, and then that one elder yeah. turned into parallel. All right, Tara, it's time for real talk. Yep. What does this do to Blake Lively's career? Oh, nothing good. And no. you know what? It might even bring down Ryan Reynolds a little I feel bit. like because it's so bad, though, nobody... It's not like people are saying, that was a pretty good movie in which Blake Lively sucked. They're just like, oh, this was a terrible movie. So I don't feel like she's being singled out. No, I don't know much. who could have played this part who would have made it like interesting or believable. Yeah, like I'm sure she wasn't very good. I'm no, guessing. she wasn't. She wasn't. This is not the part kind of part she should be playing. But I feel like this isn't taking her down in the way that it... I don't even know if it's taking down Ryan Reynolds. It's maybe taking she, down. I don't comic even think books. she's barely even in the trailer. Like right. she does not have a very big part. Right. She's mo- she mostly exists in the movie to make sure everyone knows Ryan Reynolds' character is not gay, and he isn't. <laughs> oh, fine. And to and to be an object that he and Peter Sarsgaard can like tussle over because Peter Sarsgaard is a secondary villain. I see. Yeah, just playing like a weird, creepy kind of really non-threatening guy. Who right. works in science building. He works in science building. I mean. <laughs> Wow. Actually, I should have known that Tim Robinson, because now that you mentioned Peter Sarsgaard, I remember a part in the trailer where he's like, we will fix you. Yeah, Tim Robbins plays Peter Sarsgaard's dad, who is a senator. Does that work? Well, Peter Sarsgaard and Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds are all supposed to be around the same age. Nope. Which they're not. Nope. (laughs) Maybe Ryan Reynolds and Peter Sarsgaard are roughly... Maybe I could buy. But there's that. a line where Bla- I mean the one the one scene that Blake Lively happened and Peter the- Sarsgaard are not the no. no no the one scene that actually worked in the movie and I mean literally yes. the one <laughs> the one time that I, I looked assumed- over at Tar and she wasn't like <laughs> <laughs> don't make it out like I'm a crazy person oh, no, you didn't wait, like no, it no, either no. you're right no it it was it was a poor movie yes. by all accounts yes and I did not enjoy it. But I'm just saying, I don't get angry at movies like you do when they're bad. That's all. Right. Or as angry. So I assume this one was written by Greg Berlanti, perhaps by hand. Oh, I forget that Greg Berlanti was the scriptwriter on this. Yes. Yes. This might bring him down, too. I wish you hadn't reminded me of that. Sorry. But there's a scene where after Green Lantern has had his first, like, after the scene with the 1920s roadster, he goes to pay a visit to Blake Lively on the balcony at her office that we all have. Right. And she (laughs) comes out, and at first she's like, oh, well, thanks for saving me, because that's the first time he saved her. Uh Uh-huh. And then as she gets closer to him, she goes, Hal? And he's like, oh, my God, how could you tell it was me? She's like, I've known you all my life. (laughs) Did you think I couldn't tell it was you just because I couldn't see your cheekbones? Oh, my God. It was actually like, okay, finally. Some some movie acknowledges this ridiculous thing that happens in every stupid And they really should have injected more of that throughout the movie. It would have made it so much more interesting. Well, at some point, they had to figure that they weren't working with King Lear here, and they were going to, like... You need to lighten it up somehow. Right. Not everything is, again, I hate to keep bringing up The Dark Knight as pejorative because I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. But like after that, it seems like so many of these superhero movies feel like they are high uh, high art or at least like these overarching Joseph Campbell, like hero's journey stories. This is not stories. trying to be that. Yeah. But I think this thought, it was more like Iron Man. Uh, and it was not. Yeah. In the t- in terms of having a character who's sort of callow and resistant yeah. and kind of like 
gets off a good wisecrack. Like sure. the script was, there was no Justin Theroux involved in this one. So it was like, there was nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Iron Man had its problems too, but it had a kind of charm yeah, as far as superhero movies go. Movie, like, yeah. it's, you know, to address your issue, if you don't want a superhero movie, that's going to be, you know, a Christopher Nolan bummer. Right. That's another model that you can go after that I think is, was very successful. Yes, I, I agree. And th- but this was no Iron Man. <laughs> It really put Thor in perspective Ugh. for me. Yeah. You know, like I thought Thor was boring, but I kind of like, I would watch Thor twice Thor in a row. Thor was competent compared. So would I. Yeah. Over this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, revisit something we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the unhatables. Yep. Yes. And we um, opened it up Got to our listeners. great response. That My was gosh. the most comments we've had on any um, any one episode. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah. So let's uh, do a quick recap of some of the best user unhatable suggestions. Okay. Of the ones that our users suggested, actually one that that came up that was on my own personal list that I didn't get to bring in in the segment, Stephen Colbert. Absolutely agree, especially after this morning I watched his um, commencement address at his alma mater, Northwestern, which he delivered this weekend. Oh, very nice. Just very charming and funny and great. Um, Rachel McAdams, another great one. She's been in a few stinkers. Doesn't really stick to her. Yeah, no. I feel like I wish I could sit her down and give her some good like role picking advice, but sure. in a way that because I love her. But Joe, you know, forever, I she will she will live in my heart for that's you and me, kid from the family. Stone. Oh my god! I can't even the believe you're bringing it up because I didn't start crying. The yet. tears. Yeah. Um, and finally, which was on point, given that we discussed uh, Twin Peaks last week, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Who's another who's who's Desperate Housewives stint. I did not see any of. Right. Um, but he is he is a delight. And consistently. Uh, I finished watching the. Whole whole first season of Twin Peaks yes. and I absolutely loved it. Good. And I'm I, I'm I've gotten similar advice from people at which point to watch <laughs> up to in season two. And yeah. then to stop. So yeah, yeah. and then to stop. So oh, I'm looking forward so to we'll picking revisit up that, that soon. Nice. Yeah. Um yeah, the ones that I thought uh immediately once we got to the comments and uh Neil Patrick Harris was kind of everywhere. Sure, I was like, yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And then of course he yep. went and killed it on the Tonys and I was like, boy, I really should have mentioned he it. He did. And then we saw him last week um in, in company, company in the, oh, the film version of delightful. the company reading yeah. thing that was at Lincoln Center earlier this year. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um so that was kind of a no brainer. Um uh, one I wouldn't have thought of at all, but Brian Williams, the uh yeah. NBC yep. anchor, who is has proven himself to be up for a lot of really mm-hmm. funny Saturday Night Live stuff yep, and 30 great Rock and stuff. Definitely and, great on 30 Rock. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and then one I just saw in the comments today that literally made me ashamed of myself <laughs> for not thinking of it is Emma Thompson, yep. who is one of my top five favorite mm-hmm. Hollywood people of yes. all time. She's just phenomenal actress in so many different ways. She mm-hmm. did that. I always think of that episode of Ellen she did yep. where uh, it was during the coming out season where they were being really coy with it. And mm-hmm. is, is Emma Thompson a lesbian? No, she's American and she's from right. Ohio. Right. Like it was just very funny. Also very funny in a, in before she was famous at all in an episode of cheers as Fraser's first wife. Right. Oh, right. The, the children's, children's performer who's yes. coming on to him while putting on this kid's show. Oh my God. That's Great totally right. Role. I have a couple. Somebody mentioned in the uh, thread about William Shatner, and I was like, mm, yeah, sort of, maybe, but not quite recently with commercials and shit my dad said. And then somebody said, if you're going Star Trek, you got to go 
George Takei. George Takei. That's Ooh, a good one. My. <laughs> and they're right. Absolutely. You know, he's uh, he's everywhere. Yeah. You know, he he's is. he's on the sort of the the front line Twitter fight of all you yep. know gay rights issues. That yeah. Pop more up. definitely more awesome since he came out of the closet. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. More, definitely more awesome. Yes. Yes. Uh, Jeff Bridges, I'm putting in here good because yep. um, yes. shit don't stick to him. Nope. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of Iron Man, he's sort K-Pax of a renaissance man. He does comedy. K-Pax, yeah. He does drama really well. Yep. He's an excellent photographer, too. He's oh, got yeah. amazing yeah. hair. Well, he does. He does amazing. Wow. That's true. And I want to put so a lucky. special note in here for Jason Bateman, which I think mm. if this segment was done about a year and a half or two yeah. years ago, I would have put him in here. And for some sure. people suggested him. But I think really he's continuing to make very poor post Rest of development movie choices. Yep. He's, he's in just, the danger zone. He he's thinks just doing he, crap comedy. Yeah, after crap that comedy. that goodwill is yeah. going to run out yeah. between and switch the switch, the change up, and horrible bosses. That's, that's a lot of that's well, a lot of ugliness. Couples retreat too, right? He was in that. Oh God, yes, right. he was. I yeah. totally forgot about him in that too. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right, guys. New summer segment. It's time for 0% Full. (laughs) Tara, can you please explain 0% Full? 0% Full is a new segment. Obviously, it makes sense that we're talking about it for summer because it's addressing the terrible shows and sometimes movies that we will be willing to watch only under the circumstance of there's nothing else recorded that I could watch There's nothing on the DVR. And so this week, uh, the show at hand is My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Oh, yeah, it is. I first Would you say, to... though, that 0% full, these yes. movies are sort of like when you start, you're on the desert island and you have to start drinking your own pee? And, <laughs> and <I> guess... <laughs> yes, My Big Fat Gypsy sure. Wedding is the recycled urine of reality <laughs> programming. I just and want to put that, it in perspective. Not that fancy Dune recycled urine no, no, where it no, actually no. becomes no. water. No no, 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 no. No, it tastes, you know what you're drinking. You know what you're drinking. <laughs> you, But you, you are desperate. Yeah. It's this or read a book. So... <laughs> No one's that desperate. Um, no. So first I have to um, give a shout out to friend of the show, show Casey, who um, you need to buy her book, Jane Jones, Worst Vampire Ever. Yes. Excellent YA novel that I just finished reading last week. She uh, she was the one who alerted me on Twitter to the fact that she was watching a show on TLC in which there was a wedding that involved an owl ring bearer. <laughs> and I tweeted back to her, you need to stop making up stories. And she was like, oh, girl, you need to get on this. And I never would have watched it if she hadn't told me to, honestly. Yeah. Not because I'm too good for it, because I'm not. And not because you hate gypsies. Mm-hmm. I do hate gypsies. Wow. Uh-oh. Oh, learn and stop. <laughs> no, Ooh. I don't hate gypsies. I Cut am suspicious of one them. One week later, Tara getting sucked into... <laughs> The ground in between railroad tracks. I don't hate gypsies, but I am wary of them, as all right-thinking people should. We learned this from the riches, everybody. Come on, guys. Um, so she, but I'm normally not into like the wedding shows on TLC, which, right. which since they moved what not to wear is all they have on Friday nights. But on Casey's recommendation, I did watch this, and it is amazing. So the show is pretty much what you think. It's a British import. They've obviously just TLC bought it and then put an American voiceover actor on They're it for no really good reason. They're really annoying TLC style voiceover yeah. where it sounds like a baby story, but it's about gypsy weddings, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it basically is just it's a you know a candid reality documentary show about the Romany slash traveler community in Britain, which according to the latest episode is three hundred thousand strong in the UK. Wow. And um, 
and the the fact that they put on these unbelievably elaborate by most standards amazingly tacky weddings and I, I feel like they probably started when they were putting the show together Focusing on the dressmaker that they talked to, Thelma, who was delightful, Medine, who was delightful, who's a, she's a like a, dre- a custom dressmaker in Liverpool, and she's sort of you know makes all of the gowns yes. for gypsy weddings, but not only yeah. that, also gypsy like first communions, I assume confirmations, any other kind of sure. Catholic pageantry where <laughs> a female participant would need to dress up a whole bunch, right? Um, so, Joe, this was your first, your first in introduction to the series sure with was. Friday's episode and what did you think I really loved it <laughs> <laughs> just it was sort of it initially reminded me of the uh, the whites of West Virginia yes. except it didn't make me feel gross it made me sort of British. feel like kind of because there's, there's this cultural separation where I can mm-hmm. sort of look at it and be like this is a subculture I didn't really know a ton about obviously you hear gypsy and you think of all I can think of is there's a Simpsons episode, I don't even know what it is, where like they're like reaching into people's pockets yes. when they're turned around. Yes. Just like that sort of stereotype of gypsies. Right. I don't know There's what... also the, the Amazing Race episode where they were in Romania and someone <gasps> lost their passports right. and I was like, they'll never see them again. Can't trust them. But Terrible watching the episode, it was very interesting because they keep talking about how they're subculture mm-hmm. and they're sort of shunned by society. Right. And they're very... Uh, they keep to themselves... But they don't really talk about what makes them gypsies, what makes mm-hmm. them travelers. Like, right. Which makes me think, like, is it just because they all live in a trailer park and they intermarry and they sort of, like, live? Like, are they off the grid? Are they... Well, I think there is, like, a caravan slash trailer tradition. Sure. Like, I think they do... In, in other episodes that I've seen, yeah. they definitely do live in trailers. Yeah. Very few of them, if the show is to be believed, actually live in, like, real houses but it's not just a strict class thing it's like no that's like yeah a a choice right yeah (laughs) so but it's interesting to watch this sort of through this prism of class structures that we don't know right but then we have this dressmaker like you said who is super like fascinated by these people Mm -hmm. and sort of chipper about like you'd think they were terrible but they're actually really nice people and you see their interactions yes and the way she interacts with them it's very sort of kind of hands-off she doesn't ever want to get too close but like Mm -hmm. she's there at all these weddings right well she's really proud of these dresses she makes for them that are huge and can't fit in cars right so they they talk about she she went into more detail in this episode about the dresses than i'd heard before first of all she also said when i first started doing gypsy weddings i was i was i felt uncomfortable about it because they behave differently yeah. like they have no respect for personal space they would really like get that up close and talk to you yes but then she also said some of these dresses can weigh double the bride's body weight right and she said the most he- the heaviest one that she made weighed 375, 375 pounds. pounds and that's that that these women will actually get like wounded from these dresses because yes. the skirts are so heavy and that there's like that's a competitive thing too where yes. they're like proud of the actual scars that they get on their hips because yes. that meant they had the yes. craziest biggest dress the what it reminded me of before we ever had jersey shore we had mtv had this like true life I'm getting married, and oh, it yeah. was this like Italian couple sure. who were terrible to each other. <laughs> and the tackiness of that wedding and the tackiness of like the Jersey Shore kids mm-hmm. reminds me of the tackiness of these uh, travelers yeah. at the wedding, where like they're all like 
fake tanned out to here. Oh, yeah. And their dresses, like, the bridesmaids' dresses even are, like, showing, like, 75% boob. Oh, my God. The ones at the end, the white and blue one, the last wedding, they yeah. were, like, they showed them in the front pew. And they looked like sh- like like old west showgirls. Yes, like they were. They had long skirts in the back, and then in the front, their crotches were barely covered. But the thing that I even loved is there's no like one style. It's like right. the old west showgirl right. is next to like the micromani tube dress with right. the diamond cutouts along the side. <laughs> is next to the neon green yes. sisters in the bridesmaids' dresses. <sighs> like there's no one style. It's just like whatever the fuck they picked up mm-hmm. at whatever kind of thrift bin. There's a lot of of pussycat dolls influence on this oh. whole style f- and with all that that implies yeah but the other thing about it is they keep that they keep emphasizing is that these girls i'm sorry they dress like prostitutes yes they do but every time they interview someone they are insistent on no gypsy girls are very moral they have very high morals they get married at 16 they get because married they at don't want to have sex outside of marriage and because they want to leave their parents house usually. right so it's a weird like fundamentalist Mormon thing right. thrown in there too. Yeah, it's, the other yeah. thing that you didn't get, they didn't really talk about in this episode is that the main courtship ritual of gypsies is you go to these weddings or to the Appleby Horse Show and then <laughs> what the guys will try and do is they, and they call it grabbing mm-hmm. and they basically like grab a girl and try and drag her away to an alley and try and get them to quote kiss them unquote <laughs> and so it's like a whole thing but this is also how you meet people like it's very... Retrograde, and you can tell there's very test of the Durbervilles. <laughs> there was a network note on that because every time they mention grabbing, it's the controversial, uh, <laughs> yeah, grabbing, practice yeah, the of practice grabbing. of grabbing, the controversial yeah. practice of grabbing. oh my god. So they try and gloss over that yeah. as much as they can because that's you know the yeah. ugly side. Here's like, who I loved is the girl who was going to rebel against the tradition oh, of Sammy the khaki jo. big dresses, mm-hmm. Sammy Joe. She also had 16. dark hair, which was that was her other rebellion instead she was, of dyed blonde hair. She was dark haired and she had weird like didn't she have little like no maybe no No, no she just had dark it hair. It was her husband who had the weird like yes. mohawky thing. Never yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. Um Sammy Joe's getting her hair done in the salon while her mother a uh, cigarette-smoking all-star, uh-huh. if ever there was one. Like, yeah. um, And they're talking about how uh, marrying one's cousins is not so much frowned upon in no. traveler society. And no, the hairdresser, fine. God bless her, is like... <laughs> She's doing, like an anthropologist. Do, doing her level best. She reminded me of the dressmaker. Mm-hmm. To be like, well, isn't that interesting? I guess we don't have our own like, uh, hang-ups about that, but that's yeah. very good. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like, not gonna say you're wrong, but just right. like... We don't really do we that, but do that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's try better what you're doing. Can that like, be right. a reoccurring character you bring back, though? That voice? <laughs> oh, God. I was about riding the lightning on that one, trying to hold on to it. I don't think I can bring it back. <laughs> the other thing about Sammy Joe is that she was in this having this hair appointment and rhyming off all the things that make a dress tacky. Yes. You're like, well, Sammy, you're really right. Like, you know, the net, the net gloves up to the wrist. And she was a girl, really going to rebel against the style by not having a huge full skirt. She was going to have a fitted straight skirt. And you're like, but. okay. And then you see her in her dress. It's still a molded bustier with laces up the backs, big applique stars on it, and a 15-foot train that has to be folded on itself. <laughs> 
about a dozen times it before was... she can get in or out of the car. And they show her walking up the aisle at this church. Yep. And she's walking up the aisle, and on either side, in the pews, watching her in this, you know, fancy fine dress, yep. are, like, people in jeans and sneakers, mm-hmm. sitting next to people with bras as shirts, yes. sitting next yep. to, like, again, like, the fashion just does not coalesce. Oh, yeah. there's there. I've seen an, a previous episode where the groom was, like, standing on the altar with, like, his thumbs hooked in his belt loops. Yeah. Like, d- does not give a shit yeah. call her undone I'm sure like, this like, is obviously all for the women and they say it a thousand yeah. times like, like I'm sure there have been traveler grooms who got married in like cut off t-shirts oh yeah or like sure. you know just whatever uh huh so it's uh, it's quite a revelation. It's, it's give it a shot. It's, it's really it airs um, Friday nights on TLC at ten Eastern. So check your local listings. There yeah. probably there will be a repeat at one p.m. one a.m. If it conflicts with anything else on your uh, on your DVR and on Friday nights, it really shouldn't. But oh, well, man. there's the soup. But yeah, well, true. It's uh, it's it's quite something. Why do the sirens come every thirty three minutes? Why isn't it thirty four, thirty five? Yeah. What? Shut up. Okay, I am doing my third canon submission. It's been a long time since I've done yeah. one. I think it was yep. Clone High was the last one I did a billion years right. ago. Mm-hmm. This week I am bringing, as you heard, the Battlestar Galactica series premiere called Simply 33. And I really regret not bringing this up on episode <laughs> 33. That would have been sublime. Um, so, episode 33. I mean, uh, the show called 30, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica... Episode Episode is called 33. Mm -hmm. It's so confusing. Uh, Why I like this episode. All right. So this is a showcase for a lot that was great about this reboot series. It's uh, one of the things I really liked about Battlestar Galactica is sort of its willingness to be ugly and dark and sort of morally ambiguous. And um, this episode has a lot of that. Uh, This episode introduces sort of is the hand of God moving things throughout the series or not and uh, through Baltar. And I think it works here in a way at the beginning of the series before it gets the whole series sort of gets bogged down under the weight of this, you know, Mm -hmm. and sort of collapses at the end. But right here it's really working. Um, One of the other things we're going to see in this episode is sort of Rosalind's determination and heart that really, you know, kind of offsets a lot of the darkness and kind of that uh, feel. And uh, the biggest thing about this episode is the fantastic moments uh, between characters and a lot of pairings that happen just in this one episode. We're going to see Adama Roslin. We're going to see Adama Ty, Adama Apollo, Apollo Starbuck, Roslin and Billy. And, Billy. Uh, and of course, uh, Six and Baltar. So what happens in this episode? So in this episode, the fleet is... Uh, making a faster than light or what they call an FTL jump right at the beginning of the episode. And you don't really know what's going on. You're sort of right in the middle of things. And everyone is sort of like looking really rough and everybody's watching clocks and countdown timers are going and everybody's just sort of like, they. you feel like everybody's at the end of their rope, but you don't really know why. And then Guy's Baltar, um, who is sort of the villain-ish personality in uh the series and we saw him in the miniseries which predates this and he was sort of responsible for the the colony defenses going down Mm -hmm. and the cylon attack um and and he's sort of it starts off he's having one of his trademark am i crazy or am i cylon or you know am i a god's you know one of god's agent dreams um and he's sort of 
arguing with six against the idea of a divine hand. So right now he's still like very much the scientist and um, six keeps on reminding him that no God has a plan for him and for everybody here. And we still don't know what's going on. So what's going on? The Cylons are chasing them and they appear every 33 minutes just as the fleet sort of becomes ready for their next FTL jump. So they get ready, they do all their calculations, ready to jump, bam, the Cylons pop in, they start shooting missiles, and the Cylon Raiders coming out, and everybody's like, all right, send out the Vipers, we'll try to delay them as long as we can, let's get the fleet going, and they start zipping out. Turns out this is the 236th or 7th time this has happened in a row. So we're entering the episode, I guess, over five days of this happening. Yeah, at a certain point, a Chiron appears that say that says they've been awake for like 143 hours. Right. Yeah. So they're pretty fucking tired, and I really kind of love the the guts of a first episode of a series to show everybody in defeat, in defeat. Yeah, looking like shit. Yeah, just sort of just you know being at wit's end. It's sort of a bold move to well, be somebody's introduction to a TV show, and it underlines the fact that that humans are always the humans are always going to be at a disadvantage compared right. to the Cylons because they are human. right, right, they yeah. Have human this weaknesses is, that the Cylons don't. Yeah, for much of that, especially the first season, it wasn't the humans fighting back; it was the humans running right. and trying to hide. Right. Yeah, yeah. And why I like this episode a lot is it really reminds me of a submarine story. It really has that sort of feel, you know, yeah. sort of like Das Space Boot or something. <laughs> you know, like it's really claustrophobic and confined, and I really like that feel. And it was something that I felt I hadn't really seen in, in a TV series before. Yeah. And this was actually my introduction to the series. I hadn't seen the miniseries. This was my first Battlestar Galactica reboot, and I fell in love with it. I thought, well, this is really different and new. I love the feel. I love how everybody's sort of like down on their luck and defeated and, and, and sort of, they, they look stinky. You yeah. know, you can yes, kind of tell. They and they're crabby. They're, they're snapping at each other. Yeah. yeah. And so, they, so after each escape, they reset the clocks. It's another three to 33 minutes. Everybody knows in 33 minutes, the Cylons are going to show up. They're going to start shooting missiles. They're going to send out their raiders. And it's just like, when's it going to end? Yeah. And this is a big heavy weight in everybody's shoulders. But in the few moments between jumps, you know, everybody's having a, not a, having a bad time of things. But in these moments, their personalities and the interplay between these characters really comes through. So in the first in-between uh jumps we have uh boomer and the chief who have a thing Mm -hmm. and they're getting all pissy over each other over inconsequential shit yep we've got uh duala Mm -hmm. uh who's trying to find out what happened to her family after the cylon invasion she goes to this um op center where she's bringing photos of her family and the guy asks her you know what 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 colony you're from you know she answers Sagittarius Sagittarius whatever and he says you know what out of everybody there's been 5,000 survivors from the whole planet and um, you know he says well here's you know she she, she presents photos he's like we can't do it we can't transmit anything yet you can put them on the wall and there's this wall and it's a very 9-11 sort of memorial yeah memorial slash person search even before they were memorials they were have you you seen this person right Mm -hmm. and this is two two and a half years i think after 9-11 i think this was probably made i don't know it aired about three years after so you know it's it's still super fresh in everybody's uh memories for sure um so what's rosalind doing during the uh downtime 
Um, she is the new president of the colony. She's sort of a like King Ralph into the position. <laughs> Everybody else in the government's dead. And like, she's like, you know, the 130th like, person in line. She's the secretary she the, of education. Yeah. Right. And now she's the president and she's like trying to keep everything together. Semblance of government trying to keep the civilians calm. You know, she says during the episode, everybody's on the brink and she's sort of like just being overwhelmed and her sort of administrative assistant, Billy, um, she he comes in and he's giving her an update on the headcount of the fleet, which introduces one of the great um, um, elements of this episode, which is Rosalind's whiteboard of humanity headcount. Yeah. yeah, and it's just under fifty thousand. Um, he explains that we just lost three hundred people through miscounts and ships that couldn't make the jump previous jumps, and I think they're at like basically nine hundred uh, forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven or something like that when the yeah. episode starts. And um, and Baltar is also in this room aboard the president's fish ship, as I call it. Yep. And um, he is sort of eavesdropping, and he hears that Dr. Amarak is alive. We don't know who that is yet, but this Dr. Amarak knows a little something about the, high, about the uh, Cylon disabling the, the colony defenses, which happened in the miniseries. He wants to tell the president in person what's it all about, and he knows about the traitor who let it all happen. Like, oh shit, like Baltar's... Kind of shit in a brick right now. And during the downtime for Adama, Adama and the Exo Ty and uh, Dwaller are walking and doing sort of administrative odds and ends, such as ordering crew and pilots to go on stimulants and, you know, sort of like getting, you know, desperate measures. Yeah. And, uh, and they're also trying to figure out who's going to get like the precious 10 minute sleep break, which, um, Leads me to this clip, which I think is probably the best all-around clip to give you an idea what this episode and the start of the series was all about. Here we go. Twelve more cases of nervous exhaustion. They make 61. How'd the docs start pumping them up with stimulants? Getting them back on the line. Pilots, too. One out of every three, every other cycle. That's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Yeah, well, we have too much work and not enough people to do it. Show report. Already sent one of these. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Calm traffic, two from the president. Is this my ten minutes or is this yours? Yours. I took ten last night. I'll see you guys in combat. I believe it was your ten minutes. The old man's so tired he can't remember that it's his turn. No. Exo and Adama. Love those two when they get <laughs> together. Um and lastly, during the uh, downtime, we have uh, Apollo and Starbuck getting in each other's grills about uh, the use of stims and sort of um, the leadership qualities of Apollo and Starbuck's uh, sort of opinion of them. And uh, here we go with that. Kara, everyone else... I don't fly with stims. They a bunch of reflexes, your reaction time. Come on, Kara, give me a break. Just Why are we arguing about this? I have no idea. Neither do I. You're the keg. Act like one. What the hell does that mean? It means that you're still acting like you're everyone's best friend. We're not friends, you're the keg. Be careful out there. Our job isn't to be careful, it's to shoot silence out of the frackin' sky. Good hunting is what you say. And now one of your idiot pilots is acting like a child and refusing to take her pills. So she either says, yes, sir, and obeys a direct order, or you smack her in the mouth and you drag her sorry ass down to sick bay, and you make her take those pills. So uh, Paul and Starbuck, a little sexual tension, which gets a little, you know, a little more involved later on. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, setting up Starbuck as sort of the hothead 
mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Viper pilot. They have sort of a stare down after this whole speech, and then they both start they laughing. Start they start, start laughing, yeah. which yeah. is a great part. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, so that's what everybody's doing in between thirty-three minute jumps. They're all they're all stealing three or four minutes and yeah. having these great little interactions, and like everybody gets their little bit. And uh, and then it cuts to the first part of the B story, which is sort of the really weak link of this episode. I find um, it's uh, Hilo is back on Caprica and oh, he's yeah. trying to ev- he's in the woods trying to evade Cylons. The whole planet's irradiated. He looks you know all yicky and he's got yeah. radiation sickness. He's giving himself anti radiation doses. And really, they cut back to him three times. I'm only going to mention it once, but basically, we find out that. Um, He's being chased by Cylons. He sees another six model. And basically, it's sort of like this big two-man con where the six model eventually captures him. But then he, she's shot by the Boomer model. And like, Boomer, save the day. What are you doing? That's great. Yay. And then they, kind of, they leave it at that. I think they could have pushed that whole plot line to the next episode mm-hmm. and really cl- kept this as like that real sort of claustrophobic submarine episode. Right. And uh, so I think if there's a, a the biggest mis- misstep of this episode, and there are not many, is sort of putting this B story in there. The only thing I would say about that is that it's, it, we, the audience knows there's at least two boomers at this point, yep. yeah. but boom, neither of the boomers knows about the other yet. Right. And so that sort of gives an extra kind of frisson about the whole six plan to get herself shot by boomer because boomer is being used in this plan in a way that she doesn't know. Yeah. So we're just about to sort of have the next action piece and yet, you know, not not a lot of, you know, spacey battle stuff has happened yet. We really got a taste for everybody in this episode and what everybody's about and sort of the dynamics of what's happening. And then the next FTL jump takes place, but uh-oh, something has happened. All civilian ships present and strike my last. One civilian ship missing and unaccounted for, sir. Which one? The Olympic carrier, commercial passenger vessel. Were they left behind? I think I accounted for all civilian ships before we left. You think? Sir. Did you or didn't you? There. You're not logged in, sir. I think they may have been left behind. How many people aboard ship? 1,345 souls, sir. You're telling me we left over 1,300 people to die at the hands of the silo. It may not have been her fault, sir. May have simply been a navigational error and they jumped to the wrong coordinates, or the Cylons may have destroyed the ship before they oh, jumped. Fifty other things may have happened. The point is, we don't know what the hell did happen. Yes, we're tired. Yes, there's no relief. Yes, the Cylons keep coming after us time after time after time. And yes, we are still expected to do our jobs. We make mistakes, people die. There aren't many of us left. <gasps> I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I love, I love the, you know, uh, you got Ty with this sort of like, you know, no holes bars asshole bluster, bluster, and then- Ty is such a a you character. It's such a made for Dave <laughs> character. Yeah. He fits so well with like your your Doctor Coxes and your Elsewhere engines and your sort of absolutely mean. And- but still, like, doing good things despite fucking up, and like, and sometimes because of fucking up. And yeah, and compliments Adama, who is sort of you know 
somber. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like he says. He's not mad. He's disappointed. Exactly. Uh, Right. And like, you know, he he probably spoke eight words, but those are the ones you remember from that scene. Yeah. And that's sort of what Adam is all about. He has an economy of of words. Um, So we just discovered that basically 2% of humanity was just lost or something, right? Yeah, about 2%. And uh, so then you know what that means is back to the whiteboard of humanity headcount and sort of Rosalind's having just a bad day. She's just wiped off 130 people and just this little moment I really like. Okay. Next crisis. She's just sort of like, you know, she's feeling it too. You know, she doesn't have the choice, you know, she doesn't have as much responsibility for, you know, Stuff like defending the you know the fleet and all that kind of stuff, but still she's feeling it as much as the Dama is. Well, right. It's the difference between governing and defending. Yeah. And we also find out that Dr. Amarak was on the Olympic carrier, mm-hmm. which is very interesting news to Baltar and Six, and they have a discussion about why that is. Dr. Amarak posed a threat to you. Now he's gone. Logic says there's a connection. A connection, maybe. But not God. There is no God. Or gods, singular or plural. There are, there are no large invisible men, or women for that matter, in the sky taking a personal interest in the fortunes of Gaius Baltar. Be careful. That which God gives, he can also take away. Ooh. Um, so the countdown to the next jump and Cylon attack, hit zero, and nothing happens. No Cylons, nothing on the Dratus. And Adama and Rosalind have this uh, sort of military to uh, civilian government discussion about what to do next. Well, it's civil, it sort of, you know, kind of hints at the stubbornness that sort of marks their early relationship in the series. Right. And it's, it's, it's a quick moment, but uh, I think it really works and sort of paints the picture of what they're going to be about for the next half of the season. And uh, so the fleet stands down from maximum battle station awareness, sit rep stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly the Olympic carrier reappears. And Adam immediately goes to battle stations. And Baltar gets really nervous about the return of the ship with the Dr. Amarak on it and talks it out with Six, who offers the theory that the Olympic carrier has been infiltrated by Cylons and that for Baltar to survive, the Olympic carrier needs to be destroyed. So the Vipers are sent out to check on the ship. And after a few questions about how they escaped, uh, uh, you know, how they escaped the Cylons and, um, <coughs> and then uh, Baltar sort of stands up uh, in the president's chamber and says, you know, makes a play for any communication with it just right off the bat as sort of like a galactic fleet anti, like Norton antivirus reasoning, you know, that they're going to send a uh, virus over the wireless and sort of infect the computers again, the same way that they mysteriously, uh, you know, got the earth or sorry, not earth, the colony defenses uh, to go down. Um, the the Olympic carriers ordered to stop, but it continues toward the fleet. And Adama and Rosalind kind of discuss what might have to happen in the worst case. And uh, and then boom, uh, Adama decides of you know the the fleet needs to jump. And then boom, the Cylons jump in. And boom, nukes are detected on the Olympic carrier. And then, Madam President, we have to eliminate the Olympic carrier immediately. There are thirteen hundred people on that ship. Cylons may have captured them already. She's not going to do it. She has to do it. 
It's not her decision, Gaius. No. It's God's choice. He wants you to repent. Look, at this point, there's no choice. It's either them or us. Repent of your sins. Accept his true love in you, we say. And so they do it. They take out the Olympic carrier. It explodes. It's gone. And Galactica jumps away. And who did it? Why'd that happen? Was it God? We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, episode ends on the president's fish ship again. And Billy is wrapping things up with the president. He explains it's been 24 hours since the last silent attack and sort of comforts her that she made the right decision, that the Olympic carrier was obviously... Something about the ship or somebody on it was tipping the Cylons to their location each and every time. And there's this great moment at the end of the episode between uh, Billy and uh, President uh, Roslin. And um, it's sort of like really, uh, I always get her name wrong, Mary McDonald. McDonald. just b- nails this yeah, role throughout the series so good. And this scene in particular. And this scene is sort of like the first taste of the brilliance. You know? It's like it's, it's, it's really great. So, What is it? Update on the headcount. Subtract how many? Actually, you can add one. <laughs> um, a baby was born this morning on the rising star. But boy... She walks over to the whiteboard of humanity and finally gets to add one to it. And then at the end of the episode, she just has this really sweet, cathartic yeah. moment. Half, half laugh, half cry. Yeah. And then oh my God, it's amazing. the episode just fades to black. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wanted, there's a lot of music in that last clip and not a lot of dialogue. And I just wanted to, to keep that going because, you know, one of the things that while watching this episode, it's like the music is so simple yeah. in this series, but so effective. Yeah. And that scene more than any other in the series and, and in the episode really uh, nailed that home for me. So that's, that's 33. I mean, the, I, when I bring stuff to the canon, one of the things I like to bring is not a prerequisite, but it's something, an episode that is really good. Uh, quality, but also introduces everybody to the most sort of um, iconic and representative elements of a yeah. TV show. And I think um, Battlestar Galactica, you know, when everybody heard about it, about it being a reboot of this really cheesy space battle uh, episode, uh, show from the 70s, we're like, eh, whatever. But it was really a show about, you know, people and their, their relationships. And, you know, in 43 minutes, there's like six really strong pairings that really set the tone for them throughout yes. the series and the twists and turns they take. And in, and on top of that, it's just a really novel presentation and mm-hmm. a container to make all these relationship things start. I really love that kind of claustrophobic submarine feel of it. 
And it really, like, I think... I went back after the first season of Battlestar Galactica to watch the miniseries, and I thought it was okay. It was interesting in sort of a historical perspective sure. kind of way, much in the same way you might watch our World War One, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, history television show. I was like, well, that's interesting, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but 33 was really the episode that sold me on this show and kind of kept me going throughout some of the missteps that went later in, in the uh, in the series. So sure. that's, uh, that's 33. Yeah, um, I think the thing that I love about Battlestar Galactica is that it works on sort of big and small levels, whereas, like, the scenes, the individual scenes themselves are so good. Like you said, those character pairings work really well. The Apollo-Starbucks scenes, both the one that you clipped, um, and also the one right before they destroyed the Olympic carrier, where she's sort of being like, you're crazy, what are you talking about? And he's just sort of like quietly, like grim determination, he has to go through this. And the follow-up to that scene is there's a scene between Apollo and Adama where they're just sort of like, and it's very quick, but they're just like, I'm responsible. No, I'm responsible. And they're just sort of like, they just leave it at that. But just like, and on the macro level, just this, the whole episode is about this fleet that has just been through this attack and they need to, they like desperately need to settle down and they can't and everybody's just, that sense of fatigue is so palpable Mm -hmm. And, like, the the military, like, on a very literal level, they need to settle, they need to sleep, they need to rest. And then Rosalind's there, and she's trying to settle, like, the, you know, the political aspects of it, the sort of, the reorganization of humanity, now that they're down to 50,000 people. Uh, Baltar's gotta sort of calm down and figure out what the hell's going on inside his head. And I will say the one way I'll stick up for the Hilo mm-hmm. subplot is that it's it fits with the theme of it, whereas he also is like, he can't stop moving, he can't stop running, he doesn't know where he's going. He yeah. is as kind of wrecked and fatigued and, and sweaty and gross-looking as everybody on the ship is. Thematically, it matches. I just thought maybe having one setting would have would yeah. have been better. But kept up the claustrophobia. Yeah. I understand that, yeah. Um, you mentioned the Mary McDonald scene, which I love. The sort of, the season one touches looking back and, the, oh, there's Billy still alive yeah. and Crashdown still alive and all these people and sort of things hadn't gone on. Like, Baltar still weirdly trusted although every scene with Rosalind and Baltar where she sort of looks at him like something that she stepped on and sort of has to now deal with yeah is just fantastic um and then just little things like the jargon how how jargony it is but how easy it is to pick up through like context clues how really quickly it becomes like your second hand like Dratus and yeah and uh uh and stims and all yeah. sorts of stuff, uh, uh, FTL and all. That Whoever kind of was stuff. responsible in Battlestar Galactica for deciding that it would be a really close analog to today's Earth, just to happen to be able to fly in space. You know, they're still shooting yeah. bullets. They Smart. still have this. You know, they're not like peeing on a toilet that's in the ceiling in an anti gravity room. Yeah. Weird Star yeah. Trek stuff. Yeah, was was really good because yeah. unless you do a lot of shorthand. And you don't have to yeah. get into too much techno gabble. Yeah. Get, you know, uh, and even with the way they dealt with what I'm sure was not a huge production budget, being as they were on Sci-Fi Network and not like making a movie, mm-hmm. where they were able to make like the Cylon attacks yeah. just through like sound effects. Like when the Raiders show up and they all start swarming, and it's just the sound of it is is absolutely like this unbeatable, ungetawayable swarm. Yeah of fighters that are just going to envelop you if you do not get the fuck out right away. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, it's just so rare that a show starts off... Usually the best episodes of a show are season finales or after the show's been going on a while. Usually the only shows that have like their first episodes be one of their best is a show that really falls off the cliff quickly. Yeah, I have a theory and I have nothing to substantiate. And I think I've actually said on the show before that there's there's like a show Bible period for for a TV series where... Mm -hmm people have sold the network on a particular show that happens in a particular way. And like the first X number of episodes are planned out and sort of in the can and sort of set as far as what's going to go on. Yeah. And then if the show is successful, they get more freedom. So like, you know, the, you know, season one, episode seven is the first episode where, you know, things start to get sort of more, um, familiar to somebody who's watched the series to the end, looking back or something like that. But in this one, definitely saw that with Cougar town, for example. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's probably a perfect example. Yeah, and, but it's this a weird, one, very different kind of show. Sure, but, but yeah, that, that, but that does concept, bear out your theory. Yeah, yeah, but this one is so confident right yeah. off the start, and it really feels like they yeah. knew what they were doing. Well, and everybody in the in from stem to stern, from yeah. you know, uh, from the design yeah. guys to the network, were sort of behind the vision. Yeah, and this is definitely a show where like I liked as it evolved into a lot of different things, and I actually like I did I liked the series the whole way through. Mm-hmm. But even still, just looking back at this, it's like you said, it's kind of a, a concentration or a pure distillation of what it could do at this early stage, yeah. and that it was so potent so early was incredible just yeah yeah for a pilot you're right it doesn't i mean i guess it has the advantage of coming after the miniseries that they could reasonably assume most people watching this episode would have seen right but it all it's not it's not weighted down by a ton of exposition Mm. um you're just in it like you said and you're not totally sure what's going on but the the producers obviously trust their audience enough to get it And to be patient (laughs) to see where it's going without having somebody have to sit there and spell out, we have to wait until blah, 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 you know, in a a stilted way that you see in a lot of pilots. Yeah. And and this was my first episode I ever saw. Right. It was fine. I loved it. I did not feel like I needed to see the miniseries at all. Right. Um, Yeah. I, I, it's, this is not normally my kind of show. I'm not a real like Star Trek person either. And I remember you watched a few of these before you said you thought this would be a show that I would Mm -hmm. like. And it's weird to say it's not really about space because it's sort of like when you try and tell people, well, Friday Night Lights right. is not really about football. Like, right. okay, football is the setting and space is the setting here too. Yeah. But it's really about, you know, managing in an apocalypse that could be, this could be taking place anywhere. I mean, yeah. it's obviously there are space battles, but the point of this episode is not that. It's it's to, as you said, establish the relationships between people and show how the nuts and bolts of surviving after an event like this would actually have to take place. Some of it is really boring and some of it is exhausting. He could have told a similar story about Iraq. Yeah. You know, post, post invasion, you know, Iraq was definitely a a reference point for a lot of that series. Right. But the, you know, you see the president and she's not ordering torture of somebody that's maybe a traitor. She's essentially getting census updates, you know, like some of, some of what is happening is just like basic management of limited resources and you know the 33 gives it a kind of urgency but at the same time like there's this downtime where people are just trying to still be normal and trying to figure out what the frameworks are going to be like for their lives now you know between what's changed and what's still the same um and that's fascinating so i have a couple a couple just really minor points to bring up just Mm -hmm. before we put this to the vote and uh, it's not about this particular episode um alone but the 
spoiler credit blip things still annoy me after all this time. <laughs> it was funny because oh. when it got to that point in the credits, I put my hand up and was like, oh, wait, I've already seen this episode, and it feels but that's like, what we always used to do. And it feels like at this stage, they went on longer. It seemed like they maybe shortened them up yeah. as the series went on, but it was a lot of, yeah. Yeah, it's just a really curious thing to do in the credits, and I always thought it was weird, and, and even though I was about to watch it, and it's not like they would sh- you know have a big sign that says, this one's the new Cylon or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I was two minutes away from watching it, so I didn't actually want to see that big explosion that's going to happen. Because then I know there's a big explosion. You know right. what I mean? Like, like I'm not really a big like spoiler, you know, freak. But, but that's still a weird choice. But the weird yeah. two it's minutes. Like I'm already here. I'm already watching. Right. Two minutes so. from now, spoilers really bother me for some yeah. reason. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was funny about this episode, one little detail, is that um, there is at one point a sort of feed paper feed. Uh, like a like a dot dot matrix printer, yes. you know that you know the the paper that's got the little holes that feeds in, yes. right? So it's yeah. just like you print as much as you need and you rip it off, and that's so. There's something there because they show a piece of paper with like you know track holes on the side. Yet uh-huh. wherever they ripped it, still had the octagon yeah. corner uh, corners cut out of it, yeah. which makes makes no sense. Yeah, the, the whole octagon thing. I know it was a holdover from the original series, but that's something they really could have lost. And they should things have because yeah, it, it, it gets more and more ridiculous. Like clipboards with them cut off, right? And stuff like why that. And, makes no yeah. logical sense. Oh, I mean, really I know why. But me. that's so funny. really nerdly note, but it wasn't. It's not so much that the. I always thought it was silly that they had paper that obviously they had to make as a square, then cut off corners yes. even in this universe. <laughs> yes. Which was wasteful. And they continued to do so after, you know, they yeah. had limited resources when there's only 50,000 right. people left. But that also, they would somehow have a paper feeder that would sense you ripping it off and quickly cut the corner so everything's an octagon where <laughs> your gods will get mad at you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's put this to a vote. Uh, Tara, what say ye? I vote yay. Joe. Enthusiastic, yay. All right, excellent. Free to free. I'm doing good. All right, <laughs> so, gonna try not to screw this up. Battlestar Galactica, season one, episode one, titled 33 <laughs> on this extra hot great episode 36. <laughs> you are hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. It's time for winner and loser of the week. And who's our winner, Tara? Uh, I'm kind of glad that we're recording this a day late so that I could have this be my winner of the week. Winner of the week, people that quit watching The Killing before that terrible season finale everyone is mad about. High five, Dave. Woo, slap. Um, I did not watch it because we stopped watching it, but I read two extremely angry reactions to it from very reasonable, you know, smart TV watching people, Maureen Ryan of TV Squad slash AOL and Alan Seppenwall of HitFix.com. And both of them were like, I am done with the show forever. That was complete bullshit. They might have not used the word bullshit, but yeah. that was essentially the, the sense of it. Nice. And reading what actually happened in the episode was like, wow, if I had actually hung in with it this long, I would have been irate. And somebody actually last night started a website called fuckthekilling.com. <laughs> Where when you go to it, it's a single page. It's like, what the fuck was this? And also links to the New York Times review that said, had the headline, um, a stylish finale lets us know who the killer is or something, reveals the killer or something like that, where the person obviously Oof. like wrote it without having seen the episode. And then they had to scramble and be like, no, but because I meant that yeah. there's the person that's like, it, this person is not the killer. That's obviously a red herring. If you think that's the killer, you're dumb. Why are you defending the story? Just say I wrote it before I saw the finale. I assumed that we were going to find out who the killer was, because why wouldn't I think that? 
Anyway, winner of the week, people who stopped watching The Killing after four episodes like we did. Loser of the week, Joe? Uh, Here's a little inside baseball, you guys. Uh, Tara and I don't tell each other who we've chosen as winner (laughs) or loser of the week. So sometimes you get moments like this where I come to the table with my loser of the week being The Killing for delivering a season finale that made so many people so very, very internet angry with their tiny little balled up fists and the show that they shit on for six weeks and now, but they're so mad that they... This is not just internet angry. These are like real, actual... Well-regarded critics. I have. I look at this reaction with a little bit of a furrowed brow, just because it's. I don't get the point of being this angry at a show you didn't like. Nobody liked this show. Nobody on the internet liked this show. I don't think Nobody, that's true. People were still watching it because they thought it was going somewhere. Mm, I don't know if I I don't know if I totally buy that. All I all I have read for the last six weeks is people being like, "This fucking show sucks. The show is overrated. The show is boring." Blah 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 blah. And now it's just like, "Oh, but they but they didn't give a story conclusion that I wanted." I don't know. I think it's ridiculous. I think um, it, I think there was one thing it could have done to bring people back on board, and it was like, "No, fuck you." I feel like this and- is the only interesting thing it's done in the last like. Two months. Well, just as a side note, the thing that we were IMing about before where Dan Harmon had to get on Twitter and be like, I tried to warn you, like, wow, you don't have the solidarity for the one other TV show that has as little regard and as much contempt for her audience as you have. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, God. As I said, one more thing for Dan Harmon to feel (laughs) hateful about himself about. So maybe he can now take this out on us in season three. (laughs) Okay, let's put a cap in the rest of the week in our new segment. Rest of the week. Uh, Charlie Sheen's camp is spreading rumors that another TV network might actually employ him again. Nope. Dr. Drew demonstrates his relevance as a pop culture personality by letting it slip in an interview that he doesn't know who Dan Savage is. Nope. Extra hot, great, extra winner, Sherlock lead, Benedict Cumberbatch will be the voice of Smog the Dragon in The Hobbit. Also, Evangeline Lilly is involved. Nope. Just as the Tracy Morgan story is starting to die down, Louis C.K. dredges it all back up again and tries to act like people who were offended are stupid prudes. Nope. Natalie Portman gives birth to a baby boy, bringing the close to a close her 16th month-long pregnancy. Yeah. George Lucas is going back to the Star Wars well for a new TV series about the gritty side of the galaxy. Nope. George Lucas is not writing it. Yeah. Rumor has it that Terrence Malick may release a six-hour cut of Tree of Life for those who had unanswered arboreal questions. <laughs> nope. J.K. Rowling teases a new Harry Potter brand extension like maybe a prequel about Dumbledore when he was young and fabulous? Yup. Wow, do you know what time it is, guys? What? It's game time! With two weeks left in the season, our standings are Joe 4, Tara 5, Guests 1. This week, we're playing Man's Best Friend, provided by (laughs) Doug. Provided by Doug. That's with a U, not dog. Thank you, Doug. I will give you the name of a dog from television, and you're going to tell me the show it is from. Two points for the right answer right away, but you can ask for a clue in the form of the dog's owner's first name, Mm -hmm. after which the correct answer is worth one point. We're taking turns. There's no stealing. You're going to pick a number between one and 30. 
And we're going to start with Joe. Uh, number four. Number four. Your dog is named Canine. G.I. Joe? Wrong. <laughs> what was the hell? Cat. Cats are wrong in the dog game. <laughs> nice. Uh, you didn't ask for a hint, but would no. uh, Sarah Jane provided you with? No. That would be Doctor, Doctor Who? Who. Oh, He's fuck a robot Doctor dog Who. from Doctor Who. All right, Tara. Um, 19. Oh, so predictable. 19, 19, Your dog is Reckless. Reckless? Reckless. Hint? One of the owners, and there were many, is John Boy. Oh, the Waltons. Mm. One point. Can I hear that again? Nice. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with 12. Number 12. Tiger. Oh, uh, the Brady Bunch. Nice. For two points. Yes. Um, 21. Number 21. Seymour. Oh, uh, Fry. Phil J. Fry. Correct for two points from the Jurassic Bark episode. That we hate. That we hate and everybody else loves. <laughs> Crying is so beautiful. <laughs> I forgot to laugh. 30. Number 30? What 13. 13 you three said. zero. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Three zero. Your dog is Muttley. Oh. Um, he is from? Oh, what was the actual show, though? Was Hanna-Barbera's uh, All-Star Laugh Olympics? I'm going to accept that because he was in that, even okay. though the main show was Wacky, Wacky Race. Race. Okay, see, I only know it from That's that. okay. He was in both shows. That's okay. worth two points. All right, I'll, t- I'll take 13 okay. since I already crossed it off. <laughs> My favorite on the list, two dogs, Zeus and Apollo. Oh, son of a... Remember, you can ask for a hint. Yeah, hint. Robin. Oh, um... From Magnum P.I., Robin, what's Masters. his face? Yeah. Correct. All right. Joe. Um, 20. Number 20. Oh, Hobo. Hobo? Hobo. Damn it. Hint. Hobo's owner was nobody. Hobo <laughs> was on the streets. God damn it. <laughs> oh, please tell me you clipped the theme song. Oh. Joe. I don't know. Sorry. The littlest hobo. The littlest hobo. There's a voice. Keeps on calling me. All right. Down the road. I will sing <laughs> the whole Canadian? thing for the outro. This is Canadian. Yeah, it was international. You got, but you got ca- No, I'm Canadian just wondering. I don't know yes, why I don't know this. Okay. It was a half hour Canadian show Started with, in the with a German shepherd oh, that God. went from town to town and helped people somehow. <laughs> it was like Lassie without an owner. No owner. Um, 11. <laughs> Your that was dog's just name unlucky picking. is was. Roosevelt. Hint. Pee Wee. <laughs> Pee Wee's Playhouse? Yeah. Joke. Three. Number three, Mr. Muggles. Oh. Yeah, it's familiar, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. Remember hints. Yeah, I'm going to ask for a hint. Claire. Claire. Six feet under? Whoops. All yeah. right. All, all cats. Yeah. Tara? I forget. Uh, Claire Bennett from Heroes. Oh. Uh, Remember Heroes, uh, guys? Guys, wow. Apparently. Uh, okay, wait a sec. You know what that means. Time for a score break, Tara. What's your score? Five. Two. Four. Um, nine. Number nine. Keyquag. The X-Files. 
Whoa, nice pull. Yeah, no kidding. I know things. That was Dana Scully's dog. Wow. Inherited from some person in a uh, monster of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 29. Number 29, Maximilian. Max a million. Richie Rich. Bionic Woman. Mm, wouldn't I got that? Wait, what was her first name? Jamie. Mm, I don't think I would have yeah. that. Uh, 17. Number 17, Ladybird. Oh, uh, King of the Hill. Yeah. Correct Damn, for two points. Six. Number six, Travis. Oh, Cougar Town. Correct for two points. Dog Travis. Oh, right. I think Doug, who made this, uh, was doing a little, uh, you know, just for you yeah. stuff. Yeah. Five extra hot, great participant pleasers. Uh, one. Number one, Vincent. Um, Walt from Lost. Ah, uh, damn it. <laughs> correct for two points. <laughs> That's the correct way to pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> 14. Number 14, Brian. Brian. Ryan. Oh, gosh. Hint? Peter. Peter. Brian. Do you know this? You know this one. It's okay that you, you know don't it know too. it, Joe. Peter. 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 Fringe? I don't know. Sorry. Family guy. Family guy. Oh, oh, Brian. There's a dog named Brian, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Next um, seven. Number seven. Paul Anka. I wish there were still Paul Anka, may I add, the dog. Oh, Gilmore Girls. Correct for two points. Okay. Here we go. Let's get a scoreboard. Jara. 13. Six. What? Oh, dear. Oh, this still, has gone still, south. Still, uh-oh. Still a lot of game to go. I bet I know what the tiebreaker is, too. Oh, God. Okay. 18. Number no, 18. Shelby. You have it in your head. Shelby? Shelby. Hint? Clark. Smallville? Nice. Right. Correct. Also known as Crypto. Smallville. Um. <laughs> Smallville. <laughs> 25. He's not so sick. Tara's <laughs> oh. picking all the easy ones. Oh. Your dog is back up. Oh, Veronica Mars. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Oh, Joe's already. Oh, look at him. He's all bad. No, I can't. Somebody give Joe a hug. Look at him. (laughs) Two. Digby. 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 Hint? Ned. Ned. Oh, oh, uh, pushing daisies. Correct for one point. Tara. Keep trading one for two. This is not good. 15. Number 15, buttons. Hint? Mindy. Mindy. Friday Night Lights? Incorrect. Ooh, that was a good guess, though. Animaniacs. Oh, I never uh, yeah, That was a hard one. 23. <laughs> Number 23, Eddie. 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 A dog named Eddie. Hint. Eddie Martin. 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 Is the show Martin? Yeah. Frasier. Oh, Eddie. Frasier. Wow, talk about dogs that I've completely forgotten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pop from pop that dog was on the cover of TV it was. <laughs> Um Okay, I will take 24. Number 24, Duke. Hint. Jed. 
the Beverly Hillbillies. One point nice. for Beverly Hillbillies. Nice. Either that or the West Wing. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think we have a dog on the West Wing. Uh, five. Number five, your dog is Comet. 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 Oh, my God. Comet. Comet. Oh, I should know this without a hint, but I'm going to ask for a hint. Danny. Danny. Oh. Partridge Family? Full House? Yes. You're right. Um, 28. Number 28. Tara with the, the good pulls. Probably the easiest one of the game. Your dog's name is Blue. Oh, Blue's Clues? <laughs> uh, I can't even okay. get mad at that. That's yeah, I know. <laughs> Tara, how many points do you have? I don't want to say. Oh, just say. 18. 18. 18. I have eight. Oh, yeah. All right. How many questions do we have left? Quite a few or um, not many? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Oh dear! All right, enough. Next one. Let's um, finish it up. Was that? This is me. Yes, you got blue. Uh, twenty-seven. Number twenty-seven. Porthos. 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 Clue. Uh, Jonathan was his owner's first name. Uh, who's the boss? It's no. been a long road. <laughs> yeah. Getting from the price screws me over again. Wow. He had a big you really, mad at I really maybe should have watched that show. With big floppy No one is good. No one's gonna say that. <laughs> He'd lick your face now and then. And you would touch the sky. <laughs> His mouth felt like dog. Okay, <laughs> alright. That's enough okay. of that. Yes. Was going down a weird road. Um eight. Having sex <laughs> with a dog. Out in deep space, you need a friend. Okay, let's go. Eight. They're a dog. They're dogs. Be happy. 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 Oh, seventh heaven. Yeah. Correct. Ow, I hurt my side. I actually hurt my side. Wow, laughing at yourself. Tara's laughing at yourself. That's undignified. Tara picks the dog that was in the opening credits of the television show. You think I watched that show? You at least watched the credits. Though. I didn't watch, I didn't watch that show. All right. I did it. All right, guys. Some of the all right. Let's all fight right. over who watched more Seventh Heaven. <laughs> what do we got? Um, 16. Astro. Astro. Um, His Astro. dog, Astro. He can't win. Don't give me that. You're right. <laughs> Why am I getting mad about that? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, the Jetsons. <laughs> Correct. Is this the last one? No. Okay. 26. Number 26. Muffet 2. Hint. Boxy. Futurama? Original Battlestar Galactica. Correct. All right. Uh, 10. Number 10. Laddie. Laddie Simpsons. There we go. Yeah. Two points. And the last question. The last one. 22. Number 22. Your dog. Oh, I think you're going to get this one. Your dog is Rowdy. Rowdy. Oh, Scrubs. Scrubs. Correct for two points. All right. Well, what was the final score here? I had 12. Uh I had 22. 22. 12 to 22. Can I ask, Mm -hmm. where the hell was Odie? Odie? From Garfield. Oh, it's not a TV series. Oh, I it guess was it a was. cartoon it was. series. What, can I ask a question? Yes. 
was the tiebreaker yeah. Santa's little helper? Nope. Oh. I the tiebreaker was Rolf. Oh, the Muppets. Right. Muppet Show. Yeah. Thought maybe you wouldn't get or it. Or Muppet Babies. Because you you're a cold black heart. <laughs> all right. Where was all this pro-Muppet sentiment Tara, when we gonna, came up gonna, with that segment? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm, save, I'm saving the big finale for, for, for next week's actual end of the series. But right. Tara, here's a little taste. <laughs> Tara. Tara. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Grace. <laughs> We discussed Tara's darkest night watching Green Lantern and caught up with listener-suggested unhateables. We stared in disbelief when Tara's DVR read 0% full, and my big fat gypsy wedding was provided as a solution. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica's series premiere 33 was inducted into the canon. Yay! We crowned winners and losers of the week, put a cap in the rest of the week, yep, and Tara was a winner of this week's game time. Woot! Episode 38, that's the podcast after next, is going to be an all I am not a crackpot episode. If you out there are not a crackpot and want to tell the world why, <laughs> you can record your short under two minutes audio segment and send it to me at glark at extrahotgrate.com. Please do. Yes. Remember. We're listening. <laughs> I am David T. Cole. On behalf of Tara Ariano and Joe Reed, thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Extra Hot Great. There's a voice that keeps on calling me down the road. That's where I'll always be. Every stop I make, I make a new friend. Can't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again. Maybe tomorrow I wanna settle down. Until tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on. If you wanna join me for a while, just grab your hat, come travel like that's hobo style. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow I wanna settle down. Until tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on.